We stand because we honor God's word. That's the, that's the only thing. You don't have to stand while I'm preaching. But we're going to be reading this morning from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Because this is the, the word that we are looking to submit to as a church this morning. This is the word that we stand in honor together. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 8 through 13, if you want to read along in the Pew Bible, that's page 992. This is the Word of God. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them be tested first. And let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. You may be seated. I'm going to begin our time together with a word of prayer. Father, we we seek your help this morning. Lord, help us. It is our desire as a church to be modeled after your design. Not our creativity. Not what works in our own eyes. To not be modeled after the world's wisdom, but, Father, after the wisdom that you've shown us in your word. So we pray this morning that we would have ears to hear your word. That we would all have the humility, myself included, to to look to your word for guidance. Not as just good ideas, but as the good idea. We pray that you would help us to understand what you have for us this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you are new with us this morning, you're just joining us, we have been working our way through what we call the, the doctrine of the church. Uh, we, for two weeks, studied what God's word has to say about church membership. And last week, we began to look at how deacons were given to us by God to help maintain some sense of order in the church. We saw in Acts chapter 6 last week the need that every local church has for for these servants. People who will step in and be responsible for areas of service and so by doing that free up the pastors of the church to, to focus on the ministry of the word. We also saw how these servants would through their work help the church to maintain the unity that the Spirit has given us, that unity of the Spirit that we learned about back in Ephesians a few weeks ago. But what we see in Acts 6, though, what we saw, rather, is not the office of deacon. Rather, it was God revealing revealing to us the need for deacons. As the church became more established following that church in Acts, we walk through the New Testament, the church becomes more established. And, and we see more clearly that within the church there are these, these two offices that the apostles talk about. 
pastors, for one, or, or they're almost always called elders, and then deacons. There's a lot in the New Testament said about these elders or these pastors. And in, in fact, you even see words about these guys in the Old Testament. And next week, we're just going to actually look at that. We're going to step back and look at how we see pastors or shepherds throughout God's Word, throughout the Old and New Testaments, and just kind of get a picture of how God has been calling shepherds from, from the, the very beginning uh, to, to lead his people. And then for the next two weeks after that, uh, Pastor Saunders will be, where'd he go? He's in here somewhere. He'll be, he'll be leading us uh, through a continued study on, on elders. But, but for now, we're looking at deacons. And there isn't very much said about deacons in the New Testament. In fact, there's only two passages that say anything about the office of deacon. The first one is very, very short. It's... It's in Paul's letter to the Philippian church at the very beginning of that letter, like an, an introduction. He says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, that would be all the members of the church in Philippi, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, or the elders, or pastors, and the deacons. And then he doesn't say anything else about those guys. The second place we see this office of deacon mentioned is in 1 Timothy. And that's where we'll spend our time this morning. Paul wrote this letter, 1 Timothy, to Timothy as he was serving in the church in Ephesus. Apparently, there had been some trouble there in the Ephesian church and a lot of confusion about how the church is to be run, how it should be managed, who should serve, what they should be teaching, and, and how the people are to interact with one another in the church. And it got to such the point where, where Timothy was having trouble kind of managing the whole operation. And so Paul writes in this, this letter. To begin to address these issues, Paul says this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. This is where he starts to tell Timothy about how the church is to be run. He says, I desire then that in every place, and then he goes on to talk about how the men should be praying without fighting, and I don't, just imagine what that would have been like. We can't even pray without fighting. But that's not the point of this sermon. The point of this is to, to, to show you why this letter is written. So, so Paul is writing and sharing with, with Timothy that he's about to give him some instructions on how the church is to be run. All of these Little churches in Ephesus, these house churches, where the people are gathering in, in Christ's name. That's what he means by every place. He's talking about every little house church in Ephesus. Then he goes on, beginning there in 2.8, to give us this instruction on what should be happening in these churches and how, should, how they should be run. And then he ends that section when you get to 1 Timothy 3.14. Exact, he says exactly why he wrote the letter. He says this, look at... Um, 1 Timothy 3.14, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you. So this is the reason why I'm writing. I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So why is 1 Timothy written then? So that the Ephesians... And by extension, so that we today would know how to function as a church. 
so that we would know from God's word what our, what our worship is supposed to look like when we sing the word and pray the word and hear it preached and when we see pictures of God's word in communion. God has told us who was supposed to be teaching and who was supposed to be leading, who was supposed to be serving, and so on. So if we have a letter like this as a church, written by an apostle who speaks on behalf of Jesus himself, if we have a a letter this specific, wouldn't it be wise then to pay attention? If God's word is sufficient, if he has given us instruction for our church, let's submit ourselves to his design for our church, can we? Well, it's in this letter that we find our instruction on on how to choose those who would serve as deacons in the church. And that's going to be our focus today. And, and I want you, if you can, and this is, we all, we all come into a worship service with a lot of history in churches, but I want you to pretend to read this for the first time. All right? So let, let's put ourselves in the place of Timothy and the Ephesian church receiving this letter and just looking for how to design the, the ministries of our church. And I think that by doing that, we'll see just what exactly these things mean. The hard part in, for me writing this, it was a very difficult sermon to write. The hard part was in writing this, knowing a lot of deacons. And knowing deacons from as long as I can remember, because I grew up in the church. And so instead of thinking from that position, what I want us to try to do this morning is to just think not about past deacons that you know, even the good ones, but think about the ideal deacon that Paul's presenting for us. That's the, the mindset that I took as I wrote this. Uh, and so anything that we see here, we're just trying to grasp from Paul, not from Dustin's ideas or from your ideas, all right? So what we see here just off the bat as we read this, I think you noticed it's kind of fascinating. There's nothing here that should startle us, is there? When we read through these qualifications this morning, none of these are like, well, I didn't expect that to be a qualification for someone who would serve. All we see Paul describing for us is someone who is simply obedient to Christ. That's all a deacon is. He's a, a follower of Christ who lives in obedience to Christ and is willing and able, and he's held accountable for serving Christ's church. Let me say that again. A deacon is a follower of Christ who lives in obedience to Christ and is willing and able and held accountable for serving Christ's church. What you're going to see here in this passage are, are simple character qualifications that every Christian should have. Well, every mature Christian should have. So if you're thinking, well, I don't ever want to be a deacon, so this has nothing to do with me, so I'm just going to tune out right now. Listen, one of Jesus' commands was that we would wash one another's feet, that we would serve one another, to outdo one another in stooping to serve one another. That's what a deacon is. He's one who leads in service. So we should look to this example. Secondly, the qualifications for deacons are really just Characteristics of everyone who should be striving to obey Christ in all things. So that's all of us. 
who claim the name of Christ, isn't it? So all of us have a duty then to pay close attention to God's word this morning. Let's look at this instruction from the Apostle Paul. And rather than going verse by verse, I've broken this up into two categories. One is the category of character, and the other is the category of competency. Okay, so we're, we're going to gather up the character qualifications in one column first, and then we're going to look at the competency issues in the other column. It should be pretty simple. And then at the end, we're going to get to verse 11. Right? But first, what is the character of a deacon? Look at verse 8 with me. It says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. When Paul says likewise, he's drawing from where he started back in, in 1 Timothy 3, chapter, or verse 1. So in, in, at the beginning of chapter 3, he says that overseers must be like this. And then he gives the qualifications for the overseers. And then here in verse 8, he says, and deacons likewise, which is to say like the overseers, they have qualifications too. So, so like them... Here they have qualifications, and here they are. You'll notice these qualifications are different than the qualifications for an elder or overseer. The reason is, is that, simple enough, the task is different. So like any job, the qualifications are different according to the task. Elders are the teachers in the church, and so Paul says, well, they've got to be able to teach. Deacons aren't necessarily teachers, and so... That's not in their list of qualifications. But like the elders, the deacons have qualifications, and the first is that they must be dignified or worthy of respect. You see a lot of SAT words here. (laughs) Dignified. That's what they must be, worthy of respect. Here's what they must not be. One, they must not be double-tongued. That is, the deacon doesn't say one thing to one person and then another to someone else. He isn't controlled by the desire to please people with his words. Instead, his words are sincere. It's kind of hard if you think about the responsibilities of the deacon. Remember that their primary purpose is to serve and to maintain unity. And an easy way to maintain unity is just tell everybody what they want to hear. But that's actually not true unity, is it? That's just avoiding conflict and trying to be everybody's friend. A deacon needs more chutzpah than that, all right? He's got to be both honest and sincere and a peacekeeper at the same time. Secondly, Paul says he's not to be controlled by wine or addicted to wine is the way that ESV uh, puts it for us. He isn't held by alcohol. He isn't gripped by it in such a way that he's constantly thinking about his next drink. He can stop at one. If someone offers him a drink, even if it's free, then he can turn it down. The text does not say he never has alcohol, never drinks alcohol. That'd be adding to Scripture. In fact, if you keep reading in 1 Timothy, Paul is actually going to tell Timothy to have some wine now and again. It's because of his, his stomach pains, he says. It's in parentheses. You'll see it if you keep reading. Timothy's having such a hard time with this 
difficult church that he's getting belly aches. And so Paul says, son, have a little wine now and again. Loosen up, okay? It's not that a deacon shouldn't drink at all. It's totally fine if he chooses not to. But he shouldn't be held in the grips of it. Thirdly, Paul says he isn't greedy for dishonest gain. It's similar to not being controlled by the desire for a drink, isn't it? The deacon isn't to be controlled by the desire for money. He isn't held by greed. What the text does not say is that he never pursues a profit. It doesn't say that. Making a profit is not sinful. It's not wrong to seek to run your business well. With profits, you can take care of your employees, can't you? You can grow your company and your influence. You can can give more to the mission of the church. So Paul's not saying that this person doesn't strive to make money in his business dealings. Rather, he's gripped by the pursuit of profit. He isn't controlled by his desire to, to make a buck. Profit doesn't drive him so shamefully that he'll do anything to make money. So so a deacon isn't held by the desire to please people. He he isn't held by alcohol, and he isn't held by the desire for money. Instead, look at verse 9. He holds the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. He's not in bondage to worldly desires. Rather, he's been freed from those sinful desires, and so in the freedom given by the work of Christ, he holds the mystery of the faith. He grasps it. He understands it. He's not held by sin. He holds the gospel. You see the juxtaposition? He, and he understands the, the implications of the gospel to such an extent that his conscience is, is clear. That means that his heart, his hope is set on Christ rather than on idols and his life makes that hope evident. His life is consistent with his faith. And so he has a clear conscience. This is the same standard that Paul holds Timothy to. If you look back in chapter 1, at chapter 1, verse 18, this is Paul kind of reminding Timothy of his, of his job as a church helper He's a fellow missionary, and this is, this is what Paul tells Timothy. He says, this, I charge, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Then look at verse 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. What Paul tells Timothy, he must be able to do. Timothy is then set is to set as a qualifications for deacons. They are to hold the faith as it was given to them and then live it out so consistently that they are exemplary in their obedience to Christ. A deacon is someone that other Christians who may be struggling with people-pleasing or fear of man or hypocrisy, they can look to him for help. Someone who can't control their drinking should be able to spend time with a deacon and be encouraged. Someone who is consumed by greed should be able to go to a deacon and see a man who is godly in his business dealings. A deacon models the Christian life for others because of their love for Christ. 
There's one more character qualification that Paul gives us. You'll see it down in verse 12. Paul says a deacon is to be the husband of one wife. Literally, it's a a one-woman man. You see that in your footnotes. That tells us, first of all, on the most basic level, that a deacon isn't a polygamist. He doesn't have multiple wives. I think that's very explicit, very clear from the text. And and we think, and we just kind of cross right over that because it's not really an issue for us, but, but think back for a moment in biblical terms. Think about the story of redemption. What's interesting is that this qualification just to serve the church, not not to be the leader of the church, not not to be a preacher or an elder, but just to serve the church. This qualification means that King David and King Solomon would be eliminated from consideration. So would Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. They they wouldn't be allowed just to, to serve to lead in service. God is holding a higher standard to those who would lead through serving the local church than he held to those who ruled the entire kingdom. And this makes sense, doesn't it? If you remember, we read in verse 15 earlier that this is the household of God. The church or the assembly of the living God, the pillar and the buttress of the truth. So so marriage, then, as God has designed it between one woman and one man, is to be modeled for the world as a buttress of the truth, is to be modeled for the world from within the church. Remember, we, as a church, we are that city on a hill that can't be hidden. We're that light that you can't put out. And God is working from within the church to make his glory known to the world. The church is God's new creation designed for humanity. Already. We are to be the advanced viewing of what will be when Christ returns. That's the standard that we have. We don't meet that standard ever. I don't ever meet that standard, but that's our standard. That's what... God wants us to show the world. We're we're imperfect, but we have the ability, because of the Holy Spirit, to be more faithful than Israel was. So for officers of the church, elders and deacons, the idea is that marriage is highly valued. Not, Not just as a good idea, but as God's very picture of the gospel. The husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So so if you want to see God's model for unity amongst people, look to the church. You want to see God's model for the family, look to the church. You want to see what true joy looks like, look to God's people in the church. Want to get some idea of what Christ's love for us is like? Well, look at the leaders of the church and look at how they love their wives. Marriage is to be highly valued by the men who lead in service to Christ's church. That's what his character is supposed to be like. But what about his competency? Let's look at verse 10. 
Paul says, let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. I've only been here a year as of a couple weeks ago. But if there's anything I've learned about how Del Cerro has historically chosen deacons, this verse is one I know we have taken seriously from day one. Look for the people serving faithfully and then pursue them as your deacons. That's our M.O. And I think that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. The idea is that we don't just throw people who are sort of on the fringes of the church into the role of deacon and then expect them to start leading through service. Just hoping that they'll get involved somehow. Those who are already model servants and who meet these other qualifications are the people who should be given the opportunity to lead others in service. Something interesting about this verse, as I was studying it this week, is that in the original language, this is one of the only ones that's in the present tense. It's kind of hard to show in the English, but it means that this testing or this proving is ongoing. Right, so a deacon is continuously tested. He's continuously proving himself to be worthy of that office. What that means is that we can't justify the, the deacon for life idea. It's not once a deacon, always a deacon. Rather, Paul is saying once a deacon, he must always be proving himself, always being tested. Remember this, this helps to to get a grasp on this. The office of deacon is secondary to the task. Taking responsibility for the task precedes the title, precedes the office. Think of it like a leadoff hitter on a baseball team, okay? You remember Ricky Henderson? I hope so. He was sort of the, the quintessential leadoff hitter. He was fast, he could get on base, and more often than not, he could also steal second when the next batter got up. Or at the very least, he could distract the pitcher, and his threat of stealing would irritate the pitcher. That was Ricky's job, leadoff hitter. That was his responsibility. And as long as he could do that job well, he was going to be the leadoff batter for every team, every manager that he played for. But when Ricky's on-base percentage decreased it didn't make sense to put him there at the leadoff spot anymore. You tracking with me? Deacons don't have to be able to run fast. We would be in a mess, wouldn't we, deacons? (laughs) They they don't have to be able to run fast, but I think you can see the, the analogy here. When life situations, whatever they may be, life happens. Whatever makes deaconing more difficult, Sometimes that's going to make it so that that responsibility, that task, is better passed on to the next person. Because it's the task that's important. The testing is continuous. Remember, the deacon's service is not about the honor. It's not about the title. The title is descriptive of the work, and the deacon's service is about the work. That word deacon just means servant. So he must be able to serve well. Churches don't need more people with titles, do we? Oh, no. They need more qualified people leading through example. Skip down to verse 13 for a moment. This should help us get a little bit better grasp of this idea that the task takes precedence over the title. Verse 13 says, For those who serve well as deacons 
gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Look carefully. Those who do what? Serve well as deacons. Or if you want to read it literally, it would say those who deacon well as deacons or those who serve well as servants. It does not say all who hold the title deacon. No, look carefully. It says those who serve well. The service is what's important. The title's descriptive. So, so we could call deacons anything. We could call them committee chairs. We can call them ministers or servants or pastor assistants or board members or treasurers or moderators. Whatever a particular church chooses to call the people who serve this role or the people who are held responsible for this role, those are the ones who are serving as servants. And if they serve well, if they are faithful and honorable in their service to the church in their task, then what? Paul says they gain a good standing. They gain a good standing for themselves. But that good standing, I want, just if you're worried about what that means, because I was when I studied it, it doesn't mean you gained a good standing before God, and it does not mean that you gained a good standing before others. So then what does it mean? Well, here's why it can't mean that you gain a good standing before God. Because you can't improve your standing before God. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, through Christ... If you're in Christ, if you're trusting in Him, if your faith is in Him, you have been given right standing before God, and that standing is by faith into a position of grace. And if you could look around you before God, standing, you standing there before God, everything around you would be grace-colored. If you breathe the air, it would smell like grace. The floor that holds up your feet, if you look down, it would be made of grace. In your standing before God, it's all grace. There's no merit there, aside from Christ's merit. You cannot improve on what Christ has accomplished. But your standing before others doesn't change either. Let me show you why. Now, now others may think highly of you. As a deacon, but it's not because, I hope it's not, because of the title you hold. Lord, may our church never get caught up in titles. Rather, you are to be respected for your faith and for your service. But friend, where did you get that faith? And where does your desire and your ability to serve come from? The grace of God working in you. Paul tells the Corinthian church, what do you have that has not been given to you? So your standing before others doesn't change. No, verse 13 says you gain standing for yourself and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. The only two things that increase in the Christian life are your faith and your sanctification. That is your growth in Christ's likeness, your love for others, your love for Christ, your love for his word, your desire to obey him. That's supposed to grow as you mature in Christ. 
Your faith and your sanctifications are the two things that increase. And as those two things grow, your confidence in Christ grows. So think of it this way. As you serve the church well, your faith will be strengthened. And as your faith strengthens, you will better understand your standing before God. You will grasp it more fully, as as Paul prays for us to be able to do. You'll grasp it more fully as a work of Christ. And that will give you a desire to serve more faithfully and to love Christ more sincerely. And so your faith is strengthened all the more. You see the cycle? And as your faith strengthens, you understand your position in Christ better. And as you understand your position, you serve more faithfully and so on. It's not about the title. It's not about the position. It's about holding on to that responsibility, knowing that leading through service to Christ's church is vital to the life of the church. And it's vital to the unity of the church. And through seeing the needs of the church met by the Holy Spirit working through you, your faith increases. You gain a good standing, a firm standing. You are assured that you are truly a part of God's household. So what that good standing is, is just assurance. And listen, that assurance is sweeter, it's more rewarding than anything else that God could give you in this life. To know that you're truly in fellowship with him. Nothing's better. So a deacon then must constantly be proven to be competent for that service. There's one more competency issue we see, if you'll skip down to verse 12 again. We already saw in verse 12 that from their character, a deacon must be a one-woman man. That is, God's design for marriage is exemplified in his life. Look then at his ability as a household manager, his competency. It says, deacons manage their own children and households well. So though deacons are servants, they're leading in service, right? They are out in front showing others how to serve. They aren't necessarily the ones cooking the meal, but they're making sure that that meal gets cooked. They aren't necessarily the ones who are visiting every widow, but they're making sure that every widow is cared for. They aren't always the person doing the task, but they are always the people held responsible for the task. More than likely, they're leading a team of people in that ministry, in that task. So the question is, are they competent for that task? Can they lead? Paul says, if you want to know whether a man can lead a ministry team, look first at how they run their home. Do do they manage their children well? Is this person leading and guiding his children in a way that they joyfully follow after him? Or is kids going in the opposite direction of dad? Does he bring order and structure to the lives of his kids so that they flourish? Or are they struggling under his leadership, either by suffocating pressure or by a lack of discipline? And by household, Paul means the house as an organization or as a business of sorts. Is he planning for the future? Does he spend less than he makes? Let's just have that as a bare minimum. 
Does he spend less than he makes? Or is he constantly borrowing money just to stay afloat? If he has employees, do they work well for him? Do they flourish under his leadership? Is his house well kept or is it a wreck? This is a competency issue. You see? It's a competency issue because if a man can't lead his own kids and if his household affairs are out of order, that's a pretty good indicator of how he will lead in service to the church. It's it's a testing, isn't it? He must be tested and proved competent. And every man's first test in ministry is the little organization he runs at home. Sadly, what often happens is men will use the church as a sort of an escape from home. Kids won't listen to him. His wife doesn't respect him. And so what does he do? Well, a man has to find significance somewhere, doesn't he? So he searches out the one place where he can gain a sense of control. And so, since the church is often so desperate for workers, you're seeing where this goes. There's some need in the church, and a man can find gratification serving that need or significance there. And that becomes the one place he finds it. Paul's saying, that's a really bad idea. A man who comes to the diaconate looking for respect because he's not getting it at home is going to be a man who causes problems in the church. Every time. Either he's going to be domineering or or through poor leadership and poor follow-through, things just aren't going to function well. And that is not what a church needs, is it? But if he's proven himself in the home, so much so that it is recognized by others in the church, it's likely that this is a good candidate to lead in service to the church. All right, so that's everything except for verse 11. What about verse 11? Would you look there with me? Verse 11 says, Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. I'm going to spare you the extra 15 minutes here and keep this short because I have a lot to say about this verse. I love this passage and it was really fun to study this week. So there's a translation issue here. Some of you don't care at all. (laughs) Actually, 99% of you don't care at all about this and a few of you, like me, care deeply about it. The word that Paul uses for women and wives, actually not just Paul, but But biblical Greek, Koine Greek, the word woman is the same word for wife. As you can imagine, that presents some problems in translation. Sometimes you translate it woman because of the context. Sometimes you translate it wife. The the word just means this, woman of marriable age. The word is gynakos, which is where we get gynecology, the study of women. It just means, the gynakos just means woman of marriable age, and it's kind of a, a catch all word. So, so, with that one word, those writers in Alexandrian Greece and after that are capturing 50 years of womanhood. They only had three years, three, three words for women virgin, the woman, or wife, and widow. So, so it's. Not as flexible. Uh, actually, it's very flexible, and it's not as specific as English is. 
Some translators believe that Paul is talking about women deacons in this passage. You see the, the New American Standard Bible just says women must likewise be dignified. Some believe he's talking about the wives of deacons. Both sides make very, very good arguments. And as much as I would love to, we just don't have the time to delve into that. So what can we do? Well, regardless of how you understand this, regardless of how you translate it, we need to recognize this, that there are women or wives of deacons who are working closely with male deacons. That we can all agree on. Everybody would agree with, with that. So what are their qualifications? Well, like these men, these women must be dignified. Same word. They, they must be respected. And then he says these women must not be slanderous. That word is the same word that the Bible often uses to describe the devil. It comes from Diablo. You know that one? Or the slanderer, the accuser. The slanderer is the one who brings your sin before God and says, look, see, this one isn't good enough. And Christ, our mediator, praise God, he steps in and says, yes, that's true, but I am, and this one is mine. And so we cling to Christ, don't we? Like our eternity depends on it. Satan is the accuser. And Paul is saying these women in this role of serving the church, their speech must not be devil-like. It must not be slanderous, spreading slanderous speech about other people, making false accusations, stirring up trouble. Now, obviously, men are just as much in danger of this error as women are. It's not like men are allowed to be slanderous, but women aren't. The point that Paul is getting at is that with these qualifications is that the most common moral stumbling blocks for men are what? Greed, booze, hypocrisy, and sexual immorality. Those are the sins of men that will harm the church. And so those are the disqualifiers for men who want to serve the church. But the most common moral stumbling block for women is the things they say. So the women who are leading through service to the church must be women who are at the very least not slanderous with their words. Paul says these women must also be sober-minded or restrained. They show restraint with their words and with their actions. They soberly realize that they are sinners and being aware of their own sinful tendencies and weaknesses, they recognize, well, they've got to show restraint in what they say and do. Because in humility, they know that what they do and say might be coming from a sinful place in their heart. That's what sober-mindedness is. It's a, a brokenness for your own sin. It's doubting yourself enough to not hurt people. The opposite of a restrained woman is a woman who is loud or brash. She's opinionated, oftentimes to a hurtful degree, and everybody knows it. Stay away from her. Paul's saying, let the women who help lead in service be of the restrained type, not the brash type. Lastly, these women should be faithful in everything. 
Remember how deacons were to be tested and once found faithful, then allowed to serve? Same thing. Whatever these women put their hands to, they do it faithfully. If they say they're going to accomplish a task, they accomplish a task. Their word is their bond. Whatever it is, from their, from their roles in the home, to their marriage, to their work in the church, to their work outside the church and outside the home, these women are faithful in all that they do. They can be trusted. These are the qualifications that God has given for the people who lead in service to the church. Now we've seen it. Now what do we do? Obey. That's it. All this means is that when we are looking to who will serve our church, whether that's in deacons or in committees or whatever it is, we look to God's word for our qualifications. Not our own ideas. We look to God's word and through obeying God's word, our church will function at least a little bit closer to the way that God has designed it. So remember back from Ephesians how important the work of the church is? It is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. We're going to, in a moment, go to the Lord's table. And as our servers are coming down, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look to your word today, we we recognize all of our shortcomings. I saw mine so clearly this week, God. I thank you that you show us a standard to, to work towards. I thank you that you reveal to us from your word more and more the areas in our lives that we need to repent of and turn to Christ. That is your grace working in us. And we are so thankful for your grace Father, we pray this morning as as we turn our time towards the Lord's Supper that you would be honored and that through Christian unity we would grow closer together through the Spirit's work in us. In Christ's name.